Hello, and welcome to Friends for Life, a podcast of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod's Life Ministry. We're sharing the stories and insights of real people living out God's love for the people He's created. We hope you'll stick around and be our friends for life. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm your host, Stephanie Jabauer. Today's episode will be a unique combination of two different life topics. We're going to talk about baptism. We're going to be talking about childbirth. We'll be talking about how the spiritual realities of baptism and the physical experience of birth are miracles that resemble each other in beautiful ways. God has created us and redeemed us both in body and in spirit. And here to see us through our discussion is a beloved woman of the church and a highly respected, now retired, obstetrician gynecologist, Dr. Deb Grimm. Deb, welcome to our show. Can you introduce yourself? Well, thank you. I'm Deb Grimm, and I am retired, OBGYN. I began my private practice in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and was there for six years, and then met my husband, and we got married, and he was my pastor, actually, before we got married, which is a whole nother podcast, <laughs> but uh, he took a call then to St. Louis, Missouri, to be executive director for the Commission on Worship. And his job was to work on the Lutheran service book. And during that time, we were trying to get pregnant. And to do that, he was traveling, and I had to go with him, obviously. And I took a job then where I could do that. I worked shifts. So I became an OB hospitalist, which basically is you work in labor and delivery, you work in postpartum, and you cover all the emergencies, you take care of any high-risk pregnancies that come in, you triage, you do ultrasounds, a whole bunch of things. And this worked very well because instead of always being on call, I could work shifts, and that allowed me to then to travel with him. We weren't able to get pregnant, so we decided to adopt two boys from Russia, Alexander Matthew and Sergei Nathaniel. They've been such a blessing to us through the years. Challenges, but ups and downs, um, that have allowed us to see God more fully and um, just joy, pure joy as children can be. We kept their first names, but we chose their middle names because each means gift of God or given by God. Then my husband got a call to the Fort Wayne Theological Seminary here in Fort Wayne, and we moved here. And I love my job so much in St. Louis that I decided to commute back and forth. And through that commute, I was able to continue working so for a total of about 22 years then in St. Louis. So in, in 2019, decided, I want to sleep all night. I and decided I'd just retire. So I did. <laughs> and so here you are today, joining me on our podcast. Thank you for taking the time to do so. Deb, it's a, it's a joy to have you on our show. We had the opportunity to discuss prior to recording it as well. And so I got to know you just a little bit, but I'm curious, what led you to focus your studies and then ultimately your specialty in medicine on obstetrics and gynecology? I have an older sister that has a heart, a congenital heart defect, a ventricular septal defect that required open heart surgery when she was seven, which initially made me realize, wow, people can have physical problems. So I realized that from a young age that People can have very serious physical problems that um, impair what they can do. Uh, and then when we were middle schoolers, 
I have a total of two sisters, biological sisters, and I have two bonus sisters. Long after my father died, my mom remarried. But my family, my, my nuclear biological family, we decided let's become foster family for newborns. Um, this was before Road versus Wade, which there were a lot of babies then that needed care right after birth. People were putting the babies up for adoption. So we would take care of them between the time they were delivered to up to six months, sometimes three, four, five, six months. During that time, one of the babies developed some apneic experiences. In other words, he stopped breathing. And I would, as we were taking care of him, I realized this is a major problem and my mother saw it and we decided to take the baby to the pediatrician. Each time he would, he would start breathing again, but they were enough of a period of time that we were concerned. And so we took the baby to the pediatrician and he immediately had us go over to the children's hospital. And while there, he was admitted to a neonatal intensive care unit. And that was the first time as a middle schooler that I saw, wow, many problems can happen to people physically and even to little teeny babies. And I wanted to do something about that. I wanted to be part of that and make an impact on a baby and their life and change things. So I thought I was going to become a pediatrician. But then when I got into medical school and we did different rotations, I realized babies don't really talk. And it's difficult to get a good history from a baby or any child, as you know. So who are you talking to then, Stephanie? The parents, (laughs) right? Right. After being a parent, I realized why parents are crazy. They're always crazy and they can't help it, especially when their child's sick or their child has a serious problem. It drives us all crazy. That was so difficult for me as a you know twenty some young person to deal with parents that were very upset or concerned or worried about their children, and I did not always enjoy that. Right after that rotation, I did a rotation in OBGYN, and I love talking to the women. The women tell you their story; they tell you what's wrong. They're excellent historians. It's very easy to find out what's wrong, and you can follow up questions and do tests and stuff. So I thoroughly enjoyed that. And I also enjoyed then the pregnancies, and it allowed me to be part of a baby's life. So that was where I kind of decided to start leaning. I realized I was very good at it, and um, the rest is history. Mm. Well, you just put into words something that I've never been able to put my finger on as a parent, the complete helplessness that I feel when my kids are ill, when they're not feeling well, or when I know that something is wrong. And you're right, my son is five. And even still, he obviously can verbalize very well, you know, the kinds of things he's feeling, but are they they truly representative of, of what's going on? And yeah, it does, it makes you crazy. And then I just think of expecting our next son and the fact that newborns are just complete puzzles because you don't know sometimes why they're crying. Are they hot? Are they cold? Do they have a fever? Are they hungry? (laughs) Did their tummies hurt or whatever? Or is it just their personality? Is it just who they are? Um, Mm -hmm. It's, it's hard. It's hard to figure out that it's, it's not impossible. A lot of observation of children. And of course, there's a lot of medical tests you can do, but it's just easier and more fulfilling for me, I think, to be with women. And to talk to them about their their health and their personal issues and problems. 
Well, and we um, we had discussed before because although I'm not a physician, I do have similar interests in caring for moms and babies during pregnancy with my ultrasound background and me being a sonographer. And I gravitated towards obstetrics and gynecology for, for that reason as well. I loved talking to the female patients. I loved talking to the moms and at the same time, knowing that I was caring for the mom, I was also caring for her child too. It is very fulfilling. It's a twofer. It's, yeah, it's a twofer. So as a, a, an OBGYN, do you know how many babies you delivered? I have never counted. I know one year in residency, I did 500. That was the only year we had to count. Oh, um, wow. Over the 30 plus years, I, I estimate at least 3,000. Maybe wow. four, but probably at least 3,000, <laughs> I think. 3,000 babies. That's a huge number. And you have to remember, a lot of what I did as a hospitalist, I was caring for women who had private physicians, but for whatever reason, they couldn't be at the delivery or they needed my help with the delivery, a difficult situation. Sometimes in a day, I would be doing 15, 20 you know, interact with 15 or 20 different mom-baby sets, deliveries of some sort. A lot of different situations, but numbers are hard if, unless you actually count them. And one year, as we were residents, we had to count them, and it was 500 in that year. The biggest hospital I ever worked at was Parkland Memorial Hospital in Dallas, Texas. I was a resident there, a second-year resident there. And in one year, we did a 15,000 deliveries. Which, if you oh. compare to like the hospital I worked at in St. Louis, we did two to three thousand in a year. So mm. it's just so. I mean, they were just delivering so many babies. They would deliver the babies to the moms in these little carts, and the carts had four babies on each side, and they would wheel them. So eight babies were being wheeled around to the wards, you know, so they could feed them and take care of them. And if you got on the elevator with one of these carts, let me tell you, your ears were just splitting because they were all crying and hungry and wanting to go to mom and so <laughs> it's fun it just a lot yeah well so Deb with your 3,000 plus babies that you've delivered what is that experience like you being a physician um some people who are listening of course are are moms to children who have birthed a child from their womb what is it like as a physician though helping a mom give birth to a baby? Humbling. Very humbling. You see the best and you see... OB is 99% sheer joy and 1% sheer agony and panic because most of the time everything goes very well, but in the times that things don't go well, you see how significantly creation, people, um, the world was affected by sin. That's a hard thing to, to watch other people to have to go through. And it's very humbling. And yet when everything goes well, it's amazing the grace that God and blessings that God has given us. And then when things go not so well, and yet God's grace is still present, it's just an amazing knowledge that he is still with us no matter what, no matter how bad, in the trenches, amongst the difficult times, he's there. What is 
the favorite miracle that you get to witness bringing a child from the womb into open air? Well, actually, for me, there's there's so many, but I think the favorite miracle is hearing and seeing that first breath, right? They take that breath and then usually they cry and you hear that first vital sign of breathing, of life. And with that cry, then all of a sudden mom just starts bawling and the tears flow. And you know, you want to cry too, because it's such an exciting time. And I think that's my favorite time is, is watching that breath and feeling that breath and hearing that breath and knowing that that's the next phase in the development of that child to be able to survive outside the womb, to live outside and to be able to be separate from mom now as their own individual person. You know, they have to now bring oxygen into their body and it's not going to happen through mom. Um, They now have to communicate, you know, first with crying, later with cooing and, and how they can communicate. Their complexion changes, they pink up. So that first breath, I think, is so amazing, just so amazing to hear. You know, some people want to compare that breath to the same breath of life that God gave Adam in the Garden of Eden. And I think in the sense that God gives us our breath, um, he knows how long we will breathe, how long our days will be, um, and he controls all of life. That's true. But before the child takes that first breath, I really believe the child is alive in the womb. I mean, they have a heartbeat. We can we can monitor their heart rate. We can see them with an ultrasound. We can see movement. That's very important for people to know that even though that many people think, oh, until you take that first breath, you're not alive, you are alive. That baby is alive in the womb. And you've seen that, Stephanie, when you're doing your yeah. ultrasound. We even can see fetal move, breathing motion, right? I mean, you've seen that. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't do anything. It's just sort of a, a practice, we think, for breathing outside. But isn't that amazing to watch? Yeah, it is. Their little abdomens, you know, expanding mm-hmm. uh, and, and, you know, their chests expanding and, and uh, moving. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you, Deb, for saying that, too, because you're completely spot on, both scientifically and theologically. Breath doesn't necessarily equate to life in itself. And we know that because, well, some people at the end of their life can't breathe on their own. So they need a machine to do that for them. Um, But they're still alive and fully human despite needing breathing assistance. And then before birth too, babies aren't breathing oxygen through their lungs, though they practice that eventually later on in pregnancy. But from the very start, we believe and we confess that with egg sperm fusion, we have a new life, a completely unique set of DNA zipped up from father and mother together to form one unique individual, a person already at that time. And so that's somewhat of really what this this podcast is about, is confessing life from beginning to end. And I get to talk to you about the beginning. <laughs> and it's that's especially exciting for me. Now, Deb, you wrote an article a while back. The title is Born and Born Again. And you make some really unique and, and profound 
comparisons, of course, between human birth and our birth into God's family through baptism. Can you tell us a little bit about how you started that article off specifically with the story of Nicodemus and his questioning of Jesus and then how Jesus reply is so unique? Yeah. John 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born anew, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit, Spirit. What struck me when I read this for the first time was how Jesus uses the example of physical birth to describe our spiritual awakening or, or our spiritual birth. And he calls it, you, you have to be born again. Some translations or some interpretations of the Greek is actually born from above, from heaven. We understand it as Lutherans that that occurs at our baptism. And Jesus also alludes to that when he says, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So he talks about water specifically. And as I was sitting at a delivery one night, I mean, I had to break a bag of water and I thought water here and then also water at baptism. And I thought, wow, here are so many similarities between what I see every day and what happens at the font. Some of the comparisons I saw was first that birth is a huge change. It impacts um, the person. First of all, they're alive, right? To be born means you're alive. That is not only an impact, though, for that person that they're alive, but also for their families, their friends, their communities. They have a relationship now. And Jesus is saying something big is going to happen. For you to be able to see, see the kingdom of God, something major has to happen. Something new has to happen. And it's going to have a huge impact on you. So when I think of baptism in that way, I realize we all should, as we're viewing baptism, that this is a change in this child's direction. They were born into sin, and now they are going to become alive in Christ. Birth is an action that actually happens to us. It's not something that's in our control. You know, our culture wants to be a self-made person, a self-made man, or uh, I did this on my own and, and I accomplished these things. And birth isn't like that. It just happens to you. Our rebirth in the waters of baptism is also not our work. We are gifted the spiritual life of faith and it is imparted to us through the water and the word by our loving God, the Father. If I can just say, too, I think that's a very timely message for our culture, especially today, as many young people in this up-and-coming generation talk a lot about being self-made, self-discovery, your identity is whatever you'd like it to be. Uh, and in contrast to that, Christians say, no, 
your life is a gift from God. You cannot choose to be conceived by your mother and father. That isn't really even a choice that your mother and father can actually make happen just purely by wishing it or, or praying for it. But it's all and completely God's gift. And he does the work. And then the, the unique confession of Lutherans, which is, is the Orthodox confession that, that Christ has passed down to us, is that baptism is a work that is done to us and on us. And it's not a work of self-proclamation that we devote ourselves to God, but that instead he's claimed us. He's made us new. It's one of the most profound tenets of our faith. So thank you for pointing that out. We are also known before our physical birth. We're known by our parents. And I think this was brought home to me when my friend was pregnant and she asked me to be godmother to her child. Every ultrasound then, of course, we're looking at this baby and, you know, seeing it, knowing it, watching its fists hit, hit her where <laughs> she was, you know, sore and going, oh, that's why I'm sore. And, you know, she feels the movement. We prayed for her, the baby, before she was born. Even before she had a name, we knew her. And you see babies in ultrasound. I know you've experienced that too, personally, with your own children. And then also professionally, you can watch those forever. As a parent, and then of course as a godmother, I could watch that video or those ultrasounds for quite a long time, <laughs> just having fun. And I think the analogy with our spiritual birth is that God knows us before we are born. Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. He also knows us so well because he's put us together, right? He's, he's woven us in the womb. He's, he's, he's made us. And he knows how long we're going to live. He knows how many breaths we're going to take, how many days we have. And that's from Psalm 139.15. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depth of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So before we even knew what, what a day was, God knows how many days we will have, which I find very profound. And, and it also is comforting because we're cared about and loved, yes, by our parents, our physical parents, but they die. And they won't be there necessarily when we die. And to know that God is there, God our Father is there and loves us and knows us to that depth, I find wonderfully comforting. In baptism too, when God writes his name on our hearts and claims us, we are baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we put on the Trinity. He has marked us as his own, and this reflects the passage I believe in Isaiah, which says, I have called you by name, you're mine. And so our very names given to us by our parents then at that point are written in the book of life. The naming too has profound significance as well. It gives us our identity. It gives us our place. We are now in God's family. We are one of his children. This is the God to whom we belong. This is the one to whom and by whom we begin our worship. We are not of the world, but we're of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
we're born again. This is the name into which we're born again. As you said, it's written on our heart. The cross is placed on our foreheads at, at baptism. It's a profound experience. I think also another thing I've seen or thought about is that we have a birth date, right? I mean, it's it's very important for kids. They want to know their birthday and you know, what party I'm having that day. And But we also have a baptismal date. And that puts us into history, our birth date and also our baptismal date. It puts us on a timeline that allows us to see that even before we knew we were sinners, God knew us and had a plan for us and loved us. In this time, in this history, the products of these births, in other words, our physical body or our spiritual life, that may grow or change, but we always have the same body and we always have the same faith. And you don't get more. You either have life or you don't. It's in time. You're in history. Yeah, you're grafted into God's story of salvation and God's story of salvation is rooted in history. <laughs> it's right. a very real story. And to know our place in that story is incredibly important as well. In the womb, you know, the baby is submerged in the amniotic fluid, which we commonly call uh, the bag of waters, mostly because the fluid in there is mostly made of water, which is vital for our maturation. This amniotic fluid is vital for our maturation and for the development of the infant. And at birth, this bag of water is either broken or spontaneously breaks. The water pours out of the woman. Sometimes it's just a little bit, but sometimes it's a lot. I think the most I ever saw was about, it soaked like seven towels. And so it varies, right? But just like at a baptism, sometimes just a few sprinkles of water, because that's all they have, uh, maybe in the desert or wherever, or it could be submersion. And so I, I always think that's an interesting uh, dichotomy too, is that for our physical life, we must have this bag of waters. If you have very little fluid around the baby, the baby doesn't develop normally, or they can lose a limb because there's no fluid and scar tissue comes across, bands of scar tissue comes across the uterus. And so they miss a hand or have other problems. So you need to have this fluid around the baby to help with lung maturation, etc. So also, we need to have water in baptism. It's, it's one of the main elements, along with the Word of God, that is needed in a baptism. There's a comparison also, just the, the idea of water being so important to life. We see in Scripture water being used in a couple ways, judgment, the flood, but often it's for salvation. We think of God's people going through the Red Sea after their freedom from slavery in Egypt, and that is a way that God saves his people, is by bringing them through the water. And similarly, just as you had said, uh, water is vital in pregnancy, and especially vital for baby's development, but also protection within the womb itself, a little extra cushion. And that's a way that God provides eternal safety for us and eternal protection is giving us life through water water and baptism it's part of the baptismal liturgy too i think those those examples you've given are part of that yes walking through the red yep. sea and noah's ark martin luther even has a prayer including those elements too which is often prayed in the rite of holy baptism as well 
And then what about blood? Because we know it's not just yeah. all clean, tidy water. There's a lot of blood too. Birth is a bloody business, definitely. The placenta that supports life is bathed in blood. So you have the woman's womb, a layer of blood, and then the placenta. And from the mother, oxygen and, and nutrients are moved to the placenta. And then through the placenta, the baby is nourished. After birth, this blood that is between the womb and the placenta, after the placenta is delivered, this blood just flows very freely. Until the womb contracts, it's like you've turned a faucet on. It just will flow right out. Um, it's very important as a physician to make sure that doesn't happen, that, that the uterus contracts and there's not excess bleeding. It's a bloody business. Spiritual life is also bloody business. Christ had to die. His blood was shed so that our spiritual waste of sin can be taken away. Forgiveness and um, the vital nutrients of life and salvation can be given to us. It's interesting. New life always requires water and the shedding of blood, and we see this in physical birth, and we also see this in the church's sacraments. And what other sacraments besides baptism are you referring to? The supper, the wine, and then, of course, the blood, which is in, with, and under the wine. Just as in Christ's crucifixion, which, of course, is applied to us in our baptism, Christ at his crucifixion, when they pierced the side, water flowed forth from it. And there's a lot of really beautiful Christian iconography or images that kind of marry this whole concept of the shedding of blood and water pouring forth from Christ's side as being the elements that unite us to his death. And then because we're united in his death, Scripture says we're also united to him, his resurrection as well. Truly the greatest reality more than our human birth is the reality that we're in Christ's family through spiritual birth, spiritual birth happening, of course, to us in our baptism. And I like that you say, too, in your article, and I think this is really important as well, say that both our physical births and our spiritual births occur only one time. <laughs> so, you know, Nicodemus, of course, this kind of had him scratching his head because Christ is saying here that you you must be born again to see the kingdom of God. And he said to Jesus, and I, now I don't know which tone he used when he asked this question. <laughs> maybe it was an honest question, or maybe he was trying to stump Jesus at his words. But he said, well, how can a man be born again? How can he essentially enter his mother's womb again? And, and Jesus is saying, well, that's not really what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm talking about the greater reality of your spiritual birth. And as Lutheran Christians, we believe that in one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, that one must not or need not be baptized multiple times as a profession of faith, but the one baptism they received, whether in infancy or as a young person or as a, a you know, late into adulthood, that one baptism is efficacious and it brings you into the family of God and Christ keeps you in that forever. What you have given us here is really not just one thought to ponder, but like 10 different things to ponder. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that you have a especially, of course, unique perspective on this because you are one who sees both. You're very involved in the life of the church as a mother to your sons, God, uh, mother to your God 
children witnessing baptisms throughout the year and seeing the life of the church, but then also as you practice medicine for years upon years, what a blessing that earlier on you already made that connection that the births that you witness and partake in every day really are representative of the greater reality of Christ bringing forth new life in us. And so thank you for pointing that out to us today. This could be a really a Bible study in itself. Yeah, I've thought about it. It's it also, I think that passage with Nicodemus is just so fascinating that he would come at night kind of to hang out with Jesus and try to say, hey, we know you're of God and we know that you can do these signs and miracles. But he really didn't have a good understanding of of who Jesus really was, that he was God. He wasn't just a good teacher or rabbi, but that he was God himself in the flesh. I think often we come to so many of life events a little confused, or we minimize our sin. That's the other thing I've been thinking a lot about, of how maybe Nicodemus was just coming, you know, he was a scholar. Maybe he was coming just to say, how can I be saved? You know, what do I have to do? Just like the other lawyer in the other scriptures asks, what, what must I do? And I think we all sometimes think that, you know, the fall into sin was just sort of this dietary mishap that can be fixed with exercise and eating right and not smoking. You know, I can put off death. I won't smoke. I won't do drugs. I'm going to be a super liver of good ways <laughs> and things will all be fine. And what I think Jesus is saying is, no, something radical, there's, there's a lot wrong with you, first of all. What you are, your DNA, your body, your flesh has been corrupted with sin to the fact that now you have to die. Not only will you have pain in childbearing, not only will you have to, you don't even know how to do your vocation, you're going to now sweat and, and have to work very hard to live and to survive. All of creation has been disrupted plants, animals, the weather. It was a big event. It was catastrophic, in fact. Who we are as God's children was totally blown up. We used to be able to talk in the garden face-to-face -face with God, and now, now we don't even know how to find God. We can't even find God, as the, as the third article would say. We cannot, by our own human nature or by my nature, come to God, know Him. And so, in all that... God has provided a way, though. In this catastrophic event called the fall into sin, we have a promise, and that is that the Messiah will come, and he will take away our sins, and we've been given these ways of becoming part of the family again, um, knowing God again. That, to me, is the miracle of baptism is having that curse lifted. We're able to be connected to God again. And I can't wait till we see him face to face. Amen. Come Lord Jesus quickly. That reminds me of something I learned from a dear seminary professor during my time there is that three of the most profound yet true statements people can make theologically is to say, God is God, I am not, and the world is not right as it is. What you had just said about how things aren't just a little bit off, they're completely off because of sin and because of the works of our mother and father, Adam and Eve, uh, which we inherit. And so Christ here is saying to Nicodemus, we need to understand that something new 
needs to happen to you. Something new needs to happen to you. (laughs) Um, And this is a, you know, an, an echo of Isaiah 43 prophet says, behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do not perceive it. I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. God's kingdom. And Christ here is describing it to Nicodemus. Uh, you cannot see the kingdom of God by your fleshly perceptions, by your own eyes, or by your own works even. You can only see the kingdom of God when a new thing is done to you by me. <laughs> I am he. And like I said, Deb, the information, the message that you have provided for us today, it could be a multiple series Bible study because what you have brought to us is is so profound that it could take so much longer to to unpack. Deb, you have written for us a blessing, a prayer, also a confession of our faith. And it reads as this, having once been created in the mother's womb, now created in the church's font, and having once been nourished by placental blood, now nourished by the chalice of Christ, and having once been bathed with amniotic water, now bathe the spiritual water. May you always have life in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Deb, thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. It was a blessing to me, and I know it will be a blessing to our listeners. Thank you. I've also enjoyed it. It's good meeting you, Stephanie. Thank you, Deb. And I hope it's not the last time. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review and don't forget to click the follow or subscribe button so you don't miss out on upcoming episodes. New episodes drop twice each month. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram as Friends for Life LCMS. And finally, listeners, we want to hear from you. Do you have an idea about a guest you'd like to hear from or a topic you want talked about? Email us at friendsforlife at lcms.org. We want to hear from you about what you want to hear about when it comes to issues of life. Thanks for joining us. Friends for Life is a podcast that introduces listeners to life issues by introducing them to friends who stand for life. Thank you.